0: I founded the BeWare Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to the second episode in the second series of Live Well, Be Well. Now today I am bringing you the rest of the conversation that I had with Dr. Izzy Smith last week, following on from the misconceptions around soy and dairy. I hope you all enjoyed it. And this week we are bringing you more pseudoscience topics around the misconceptions of the contraceptive pill. Does it influence your fertility? Does it increase weight gain, weight loss, celery juicing, the alkaline diet? There is so much more that we cover, hence having to split it into two episodes for you guys. I really hope you enjoy this and I really hope you gain some important information that can help you direct your way to living well and being well. Science is full of people who disagree with one another. If we all thought exactly the same way, we could retire and call status quo truth. But when theories have no scientific backing behind them, and when people start to fear food, which has no scientific evidence, we have to challenge that. So can you believe that urine, bleach and cocaine have all been recommended as COVID-19 cures? And there seems to be countless unregulated opinions about how to boost your immune system. Now, if you want to hear more on that, check out season one, where I speak to immunologist Jenny all about the importance of whether you can boost your immune system or not. But today in this episode, I'm following on my conversations with Dr. Izzy Smith all the way from Sydney. Izzy is a medical doctor working in Sydney, Australia, and is specializing in general internal medicine and endocrinology aka the study of hormone health. So welcome, Izzy, to Live Well, Be Well. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is so exciting, all the way from the other side of the world. I know. I feel really privileged, thanks to Modern Technology, that we can have this conversation. 100%. Very excited. Mm -hmm, Because I know that you're um, a huge advocate, of course, of lifestyle medicine, which I just said but also a huge advocate like me to try and bust some of those myths. So I'm gonna go straight on in um, with the first topic, which I know that you've spoken about a lot on your Instagram, um, but it's about soy. Because until probably, I mean, 12, 10, 12 years ago, soy wasn't as readily available as it is today. And there wasn't, you know, that many alternatives uh, when it comes to milk. But now uh, a lot of people are consuming soy. um, But there's also a lot of fear and misconception around soy milk. So I just wanted to cover the topic about it. Uh, Why didn't there's a lot of worries about, about soy at the moment? Yes, I had no
1: idea that there was so much fear about soy until I was in New York last year. And, you know, I'm a soy drinker myself and I couldn't get it at any cafes that I went to. And I asked one of the brewsters, I said, you know, why is there no soy milk? And she explained to me that, you know, it was fear due to these chemicals in the soy milk. And I was saying, you know, what chemicals are you referring to? And she said, I think it's something oestrogens or endorphins. I was like, I think it's the oestrogen one. Um, but so essentially this fear um, from soy comes because, you know, there's phytonutrients in soy um, that are quite similar to the hormone oestrogen. So that means that when we consume soy, these phytoestrogens, um, you know, it's thought that they could, you know, attach to our estrogen receptors um, and stimulate stimulate parts of our tissue like breast tissue um, and cause adverse side effects. So, you know, there was a lot of concern about breast cancer, also maybe, you know, men and developing what we call gynecomastia, you know, you know breast tissue in men, um, also concerns about, you know, prostate and other hormonally driven cancers.
0: Well, no, that is something that I think I've had a lot of men worry about having soy because they're going to get moobs, which is, yeah, I guess a reference is what you were saying, increased breast tissue. But is that true or is that fact or is that fiction?
1: So worldwide, there has been two case reports of men developing, you know, breast tissue. And that was in people having nine times the recommended daily intake of soy um, for a Japanese older man. So these case reports were in Japan, you know, people drinking litres and litres of soy milk every day. Um, and, you know, if we think about how many people there are in the world and two case reports, this means that the risk is essentially negligible. Um, So, you know, for normal soy consumption, there's definitely, you know, no risk for men developing, you know, female body traits or anything like that.
0: Okay. And so I guess it's there that it doesn't, really influence our hormones as much as people are worried about? Yeah, well, just saying, you know, even for women in
1: breast tissue, there was a lot of concern. And, you know, study after study shows that there's no link with, you know, increased risk of breast cancer. And in fact, it's actually quite the opposite. You know, soy is associated with lowering levels of inflammation, um, lowering blood pressure, lots of other very good things in the body. And, you know, soy consumption is actually being, you know, associated with decreased breast cancer risk. Um, you know, it's small, but it's you know highlights that this you know risk is very you know that people this fear that people have is quite silly,
0: and and that comes from isoflavonoids, I guess, because that's where the link is that a lot of people fear that isoflavonoids actually could have that effect. I think that's where a lot of that I was reading in um, has the effect of the phytoestrogen, and it, it, they worry that that is what. Has the effect, but actually, we found that isoflavonoids can also be very p- beneficial for health, just as you said.
1: Yeah, they're you know like a phytonutrient, antioxidant, um, lots of beneficial effects that we see in observational studies. Um, however, you know, like I said, with the you know isoflavonoids, they act similarly to the estrogen at the estrogen receptor. Mm-hmm. But so it's a little bit for people you know that aren't coming from a science background. Our hormones work by we have a receptor on a cell, and then we have a hormone that comes and attaches to that receptor, and then it causes, you know, a series of you know intracellular messages essentially, and that's what you know how the hormone impacts our cell. So the, you know, alpha, the what I call you know phytonutrient or phytoestrogen can go and attach to the estrogen receptor and can either activate the receptor or you know, block the receptor. So even though you know it sounds concerning that we would have you know this you know thing that we're drinking activate our estrogen receptors, but in reality most of the time it's thought they actually lock it so you know the receptor won't be activated. But you're exactly right, Sarah. You know this is where most of the concern is coming from.
0: Okay, and so I mean from what I've read, but this is where I'd love you to to explain the controversy around isoflavones to have a bad side effect in humans most of it's been in animal studies. Um, Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we often see, um, you know, a lot of either concern or excitement from animal studies, you know, maybe something, you know, um, artificial sweeteners are an example of this, you know, rats don't have the enzyme to metabolize um, some artificial sweeteners and given really high doses, they develop stomach cancer. However, you know, we're not rats, we're humans, Mm -hmm. we do have that enzyme to break it down and, you know, there hasn't been shown any risk of adverse effects from artificial sweeteners. In the same way with, you know, I in soy, some animal studies did show adverse effects because they were activating the estrogen receptors. Um, Wherever, you know, in humans that doesn't seem to happen. So I think, um, you know, a lot of this fear has come from, you know, those animal studies I also, to be honest, you know, I also wonder if to some degree there's, you know, racism or, you know, um, people pushing back against vegetarian or vegan diets by trying to create this fear, you know, moves, male, male, male boobs, um, you know, trying to demasculate men who, you know, choose to have a lot of soy rather than a steak. You know, that's just my theory. I don't know if it's true, but it's just amazing how much unfounded worry there is about soy when really it's such a healthy food that's been shown to, you know, decrease rates of breast and prostate cancer, be associated with lower rates of heart disease. And we think about, you know, the highest um, country with the highest soy consumption in the world is Japan. And they've got, you know, amazing longevity and very low rates of heart disease. And, you know, the beneficial effects of those, you know, antioxidants in the soy are thought to be part of that.
0: So that's really interesting because you mentioned cancer risk there, actually. And so can we talk about soy and cancer risk? Because does it drive hormone-driven cancers such as prostate or breast cancer, I think that's also a massive connection here with soy and cancer. And, you know, is there any evidence for that?
1: Um, so, yeah, so there's been many, uh, you know, big studies looking at soy consumption and cancer risk, which is really good because, you know, understandably, you know, these animal studies and that there was a scientific mechanism for it that it could potentially cause cancer was there. However, When we do the studies and we look at people over a long period of time, we see that, you know, people that eat a lot of soy actually have lower rates of prostate and breast cancer. You know, these are studies that show association or causation, but Mm -hmm. all in all, it's saying, you know, soy is most likely safe. Um, We also have studies that show women after breast cancer who have, you know, increased soy consumption, and this is both in a, you know, Caucasian and Asian population because Um, You know, some evidence has been different um, in different population groups but, you know, in both Caucasian and Asian population after breast cancer, soy has been associated with, you know, a lower rate of recurrence. Um, And the same in prostate cancer, you know, we've seen in observational studies men actually having lower rates of prostate cancer. Um, You know, whether this could be, you know, people that have eaten a lot of soy, maybe have other aspects of their diet quite healthy, you know, more vegetables. You know, maybe less trans fat, that type of thing, it's hard to know. But all in all, you know, this evidence for soy is very positive that it you know, actually is associated with lower rates of cancer. Wow.
0: Well, and I think that's something that's really important to discuss as well. It's not always just about isolating one type of nutrient. And I think we'll probably come back to this quite a lot this with this reference. But it's, you know, as you said, it could be also they are having more vegetables, maybe they're having more fatty fish, maybe they're having more sleep. Um, and so I think that's also what's really important about when we talk about all of these individual nutrients, it's not always the be or and end all of just having that nutrient or not having that nutrient. It's multifaceted and there's so many different things that are going to be affecting these studies um, and the outcome. Exactly. And
1: I know, you know, as a medical doctor, that's something that I've really had to learn because in medicine, we give a study, we give someone one tablet And then we give, you know, the other group a placebo. Whereas, you know, when we're looking at nutrition, there's no placebo to nutrition. Everybody eats something. Um, And, you know, people, like you say, they don't eat isolated nutrients. They eat, you know, meals with lots of different things um, that make up up the meal. So nutrition studies are notoriously hard to get, you know, strong evidence from. Um, And we, we mainly rely on observational studies. So it's, you know, often they give us that we think something is likely, but it's hard to, you know, ever really be 100% sure and, you know, does soy decrease our risk of breast or prostate cancer?
0: Yeah. No, and so I guess what we're saying here is actually it can be really beneficial to breast cancer risk or certain cancers. It's not detrimental from what we're finding. Definitely and... not detrimental. And, yeah, all of the evidence,
1: you know, does generally show lower rates of breast and prostate cancer. So, that, yeah, definitely should be a reason why people avoid soy.
0: And so are are there any negative effects of consuming too much soy? Pretty much the only thing um,
1: is that, you know, evidence suggests is um, thyroid function. For some people who are on medication to replace their thyroid hormones, let's say, you know, they had thyroid surgery or their thyroid was just a bit underactive, the soy can interfere with absorption of the thyroid medication and people might need a slightly higher dose. However, you know, with that in mind, it's important to recognize lots of other foods also interfere with um, thyroid, uh, you know, the absorption of thyroxine, mm-hmm. um, And, you know, there is some evidence for people that have, you know, what we call subclinical hypothyroidism. So, you know, their thyroid's still doing its job and producing hormones, but it's having to work very hard to do it. That increased soy consumption may, you know, make those people become actually low thyroid function. Um, so really thyroid is the only thing um, in, you know, in very certain subgroups of people that soy could impact things. But it's not to say that would mean soy was, you know, bad for those, unhealthy for those people. They just may need to have, you know, their medications slightly adjusted.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. So what are the other things that might interact with the thyroid? Because that's something really interesting to know, rather than just isolate soy out. What are the other other nutrients which also could impact thyroid Functioning. So
1: you know, calcium will
0: impact um, you know, it's not it impacts our
1: absorption of the medication. So yeah, you know, these things aren't going to interfere with thyroid function. Just if you're taking thyroxine replacement, Mm -hmm. you know, I tell all of my patients to take it on an empty stomach and, you know, try not to eat anything for an hour or two because so many different things can interfere with absorption of thyroxine. Um, and then, you know, other things with thyroid function is it's all about iodine. So it's more making sure people are getting enough iodine in their diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so that's something that's quite relevant. Um, But other things, you know, in terms of impacting thyroid
0: function itself,
1: you know, calcium, dairy, they're all fine.
0: Okay, well, that moves us really well onto the next topic of conversation, which I know that, you know, the opposite of soy um, is obviously milk and dairy. And I know that that's something that I also really want to talk to you about because. For me, there feels as this huge there's a huge rise of documentaries about the detrimental effects of consuming dairy, and there's a lot of misconceptions out there, um, or a lot of fear mongering around having dairy without people really understanding what well, is there. A lot of evidence behind this or not, and is dairy really bad for my health or not? Um, and obviously, there's the people that are lactose intolerant. that that don't have the enzyme to digest dairy efficiently. So for them, dairy isn't a great option. However, for the majority of people, and obviously this is, we're not talking ethical reasons here. We're not um, talking around the side of not wanting to consume it for ethical reasons. But when it comes down to the evidence-based, you know, is there really a reason that we should be worried about consuming dairy? Because for me as a nutritionist, and when I try to show people what a healthy plate looks like, Dairy um, is included in that and it doesn't mean that you have to consume it to be healthy, but it's one of the food groups that are talked about for, I guess, uh, bone health. Um, it's also great for, you know, different macro and micronutrients. So when we look at a single glass of semi skin milk, it provides protein. Um, it provides phosphorus. It provides potassium. It provides iodine, which is something that you just you just mentioned. And I know that from the research, a lot of people now aren't consuming dairy. There's also an increased risk of iodine deficiency. So I think it also provides 72% if I'm correct in um, your need for B12. So it does have a lot of benefits, um, but it doesn't mean that you have to consume it. But I think it's going to be really important to try and bust a few of these myths around the fear of dairy. Um, You know, something that I really want to talk about is bone health, because I guess as a nutritionist, when I was learning it all about the importance of calcium, it was mostly to do linked with the importance of the growth, the development, and the maintenance for our bones. However, we spoke about this earlier today, and there's been quite a lot of... um, interesting research recently around this topic. Um and is it as beneficial as we've always thought it is? No, what's your um what's your take on on bone health and dairy?
1: Yeah. Before I go into bone health, firstly I'd like to say, you know, I completely agree with you with the fear-mongering around dairy. Personally Mm -hmm. myself, I don't eat very much dairy for more ethical reasons. And I think it makes me quite sad that a lot of people Um, who are vegan for, you know, ideological purposes regarding the climate and, you know, ethical issues regarding, you know, eating meat or animal products, they're now really trying to push, um, you know, essentially misinformation and fear-mongering about the health impacts of eating dairy, Mm -hmm. which I think is a shame because I don't think it's doing good things for the ideological cause of veganism. Um, I also definitely wouldn't, you know, People now we see health simplified so much into you know foods being good or bad, and as you said, dairy has so many micro and macronutrients. You know, protein, calcium. You're the dietitian. You're so better than me. <laughs> phosphorus, well, you calcium, know. And phosphorus are the biggest things <laughs>
0: of bone health. But yeah, B12, iodine, vitamin D. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and you know, especially for you know children who are growing, um, these you know dairy you know, either breast milk or dairy is very important Um, and it's so. yeah, so I guess saying, you know, dairy has lots of health benefits. We have been seeing in terms of bone health, there has been some observational studies that have actually showed people that have a higher dairy consumption are found to not have, actually have, you know, lower bone mineral densities and higher risk of hip fractures. So looking at the causes of why this would be, it's similar to, you know, we were talking about the difficulty in doing new research on nutrition because, you know, we don't really have, a you know, a placebo group. We can't account for all the confounding, um, you know, variables. Um, but, you know, that has caused a real pushback in dairy. You know, a few years ago, you know, this kind of pseudoscience, chef, guru, idiot, I'm um, here made these claims that you know dairy was leaking calcium from people's bones and giving advice to a woman with severe osteoporosis that she should avoid it you know we know that's definitely rubbish you know calcium you know dairy milk's not going to be causing people osteoporosis we have just seen that you know people who may be getting their calcium from other sources you know plant-based sources you know soy etc actually seem to have um, you know better stronger bones. We need to look at all the other factors. You know, what was, um, you know, where was the calcium, the dairy? What kinds of sources of dairy was that coming from? What was the rest of their diet like? You know, were they more physically active? All those type of things. But that is where you know the concerns for bone health are coming from. Um, but you know, in I do treat a lot of patients with osteoporosis, and I see people who increase their calcium through dairy, and they come back to me, you know, a year later, and they got you know improved bone mineral density Mm
0: -hmm.
1: so definitely don't think it's you know leaching calcium from people's bones we just have you know some evidence that in observational studies showing people who are getting their calcium from other sources bone density was actually a bit higher Mm. i also think as well some of the dairy stuff is a bit of an example of cherry picking studies you know people who have an agenda they'll find one study that supports their idea They'll ignore the nine other studies that show, you know, there wasn't any association between something. But, you know, they'll just talk about this one study that supports their idea. And, you know, in medical research now, one study is never enough to, you know, say something's fact. It's about looking at the totality of the evidence. And, you know, all in all, the totality of the evidence supports, you know, dairy is, you know, relatively good for us. Um, I know the other issues are, you know, I don't know if you've heard much about dairy and gut health. Has that been something that you've had patients concerned about?
0: Yes, I think dairy is probably one of the, Biggest topics um, that I see in clinic where people are just they just automatically think that they shouldn't have dairy whether they're going to be lactose intolerant to it whether it's going to cause skin problems and acne and I know there is a, a link with with skin health and dairy but also yeah um leaky gut syndrome which I think we should definitely talk about um, but also bone mineral density um, and fractures um, there's it, it, it seems that dairy is probably one of the most talked about. It, it, I guess dairy and gluten are the two big things that come up in my clinic all the time. Um, And I I know you spoke about the observational studies, but I think it's really important for, for the listeners to understand that observational, you know, doesn't show causation, which doesn't show that there is a direct link and there might be other factors within that study that could also be affecting that. And I think it's, you know that's something that's really important to understand from studies that come out. It isn't always, um, you know, a causation link. And so that's Hmm. where you have to be really aware of, of, of of these studies. Um, It shows that 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 could definitely have an impact, but how sure are we we, with the the research, I guess, is still limited. I think as well, you know, looking at food, you know, having
1: people, you know, like you said, they're becoming scared of food now. I'm like, Hmm. Goodness sake, it's a piece of cheese or some yogurt. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to cause you a fracture.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And, you know, so often from studies, we have something, you know, over a 10 year period, some person's risk might be 10%, and some person's risk of something might be 13%. You know, the impact of whatever this risk factor in reality is quite small. And you need to look at all of the other things as well that, you know, impacting your bone health risk. You know, are you doing weight-bearing activity? Mm -hmm. Do you have a family history of osteoporosis? Are you underweight? You know, the main risk factors that I see for osteoporosis in my clinic are people being, you know, underweight, not eating enough. Um, You know, I look after a lot of athletes with relative energy deficiency syndrome. So, you know, for them, you know, just getting enough calories in is so much more important than, you you know, where their calcium sources are coming from. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so I think it's, you know, it's an interesting topic that, you know, you've got to be realistic about how much this impact is going to have, you know, how big is this impact, if it's true, you know, there is a small, you know, association that people who get most of their calcium from dairy bones weren't as strong as people getting from more plant-based sources, it's only small, um, and, you know, how much of a clinical impact does this really have, and looking at all the other risk factors, it's similar to heart disease, you know. You can't just look at one risk factor. It's about looking at your total risk. And, you know, I definitely wouldn't be worried about people eating, you know, dairy. And, you know, I still promoted my patients with osteoporosis to increase their calcium intake by, you know, adding more dairy. And I see good results from that.
0: Yeah, and that's really important to understand. It's really interesting that you also highlighted it's about people under-consuming as opposed to normally over-consuming. That is uh, one of the biggest risk factors. And I think as soon as you start removing a food group, um, are you replacing it, as you said, with calcium plant-based sources or not? Or are you going to maybe have more junk food? Or what are you replacing that with? And I think that's also a really fundamental factor. You might be worried about the risk, of so you're removing it, but are mm-hmm. you replacing it with something that's as efficient in the plant-based world? You know, that, I think yeah, that's and, also really important.
1: And often, you know, we do see studies where we're comparing, you know, Caucasian Western diet to, you know, an Asian. More more like an Asian diet, mm-hmm. and, you know, we know the w- typical Western diet isn't very healthy, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, if we're replacing the dairy from, you know, something from the Western diet, you know, sports drink or fruit juice or something mm-hmm. rather than, you know, what's being used in, you know, more East you know Eastern communities, you know, soy products. Yeah, exactly. So very complex, but my take home is, you know, dairy is definitely a valuable source of nutrients and not something that people should be definitely not scared of. Um, and just acknowledge that, you know, it is, can be beneficial for bone health, but if you want to get it from, you know, other plant-based sources, that's also going to be good for your bones too.
0: Exactly. So we've got soy and dairy both covered and we shouldn't be scared of either. <laughs> but you know what? Well, I know. Well, one last thing that I actually, I just see that I haven't mentioned it, but um, it's dairy and autism. Because I feel oh, like gosh. there's a lot of yeah. links here. And I know that you've spoken about this a lot on your um, social media as well. Um, but there seems to be a huge link between dairy consumption and autism, with anec- anecdotally with people's opinions saying that, you know, they're worried about it. What's As a doctor, yeah, what's um, your view on, view on this?
1: Yes. Um, you know, there's always something new, flavor of the month, of, you know, what causes autism and what supposedly cures autism. Um, I think this is quite upsetting because it shows a very poor understanding of what autism is, um, and that it's not a, you know, condition that is cured. So, you know, autism is a neurodevelopmental condition, um, you know, and it's strongly genetic, you know, we know about, you know, there's about a 40%, um, you know, risk factor if, you know, one of your siblings has autism, um, and it's a spectrum. So, you know, you can have quite severe autism versus quite mild autism. And it's, you know, something, you know, in utero, genetic, that has, you know, made someone's brain, you know, be wired a little bit differently. There's definitely people can, you know, do cognitive behavioural therapy and other treatments to learn how to, you know, manage, you know, their autism and living with a brain that's slightly different to other people. You know, their brain isn't worse or, you know, better or worse. It's just different. So, but, you know, claiming and, you know, like everyone, the foods that we eat can impact our mood and our behaviours. You know, if I just eat lots of junk food and, you know, don't eat any vegetables, I'm pretty ratty with a crappy mood. Um, And, you know, likewise people with autism, you know, if the foods they eat could probably impact their mood. But saying, you know, dairy, yeah, I think the theory is that dairy causes leaky gut and then leaky gut somehow causes autism. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just ridiculous (laughs) and, you know, Anyone who has autism, and I've got some friends who have autism and they're quite involved in, you know, being public advocates about the condition, it's really offensive for them to say, you know, maybe if you had drank milk when you were little, you wouldn't, care, or you wouldn't have autism because it's, yeah. you know, saying there's something wrong with them and it's like it's a, you know, a condition that can be cured and it's not. It's just, you know, someone's brain is wired a little bit differently.
0: Yeah, so that's fiction yes that's not true long-winded
1: fiction and I think you know like obviously for all parents you know if you're like you know you're feeding your you know we know that food can impact you know people's mood and behaviors you know autistic or not if you're probably giving your child a you know a diet you know low GI all their healthy stuff you know it's going to impact their behavior so you know autism isn't going to be different and I wonder if you know some parents with their children with autism, you know, they're vulnerable parents. They're wanting the yeah. best for their children. They're wanting their children to, you know, live in a world that's going to be quite hard for them because they are different. They're going to go to any lengths. And, you know, maybe that they changed their child's nutrition so much and they've noticed an the improvement in their symptoms. But you know, in the same way, maybe you'd notice an improvement in your children's behavior if they didn't have autism and, you know, made big changes to their diet.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, you know, I think the scaremongering side of if you have this set of nutrient, such as dairy, you will have a likely increased risk of autism. Is oh, it's
1: just absolute rubbish? And like, it, I feel it like is. The oh, but it's, mum guilt. Yes, you this know, mum guilt about to say. is a, a massive industry. You know, I was reading the Brené Brown book a while ago, Daring Greatly. I don't know if you've read it, but she spoke about you know, even in twenty twenty, the two biggest you know shame and guilt drivers for women are one, their body image, and two is mum guilt. And, you know, mum's being guilted that, you know, if you love your child, you'll buy them organic. Like what a load of rubbish and, you know, yeah. entrenched with privilege, um, you know, having to you know not feed your children any processed food. And, you know, what I said before, I hope that doesn't come across that I'm saying, you know, parents need to, you know, make all their children homemade, whole, what's it, whole food. What's mm. that the the, what's the, um, the new plant-based movement, whole whole food, you know, yeah, by, yeah, based yeah, whole yeah. food movement, yeah. you know, like I'm definitely not saying that and, you know, having children, you know, it's normal to eat, you know, every, occasional, what is it, like every now and then foods and, you know, everyday foods. So yeah, yeah, yeah. mum yes. guilt is a massive industry and I think that's what's driving the anti-vaccine movement, you know, a lot of the kind of organic food movement and it's it's just very sad that, you know, people are taking taking you know taking advantage of parents' vulnerability and, you know, going into things like autism and other behavioural disorders.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I also think there's, you know, I know there has been a rise, um, with rickets from people actually not having uh, dairy in their diet and because you know younger children aren't having uh, as much dairy or calcium as they need to be and then that's obviously not allowing vitamin d to be absorbed because we know calcium is one of the links and so i think there's so much like fear-mongering and miscommunication about what is right and what should we be doing and we kind of miss the basics um that. i feel like that is you know health in 2020
1: yeah people are getting so caught up on tinty minute details you know going gluten-free or eating all organic and then it's like you know let's get the basics right let's you know eat enough eat enough calories eat enough you know veggies Mm -hmm. get enough sleep you know drink enough water and it's very sad what you said about you know rickets increasing because you know Parents do just generally want the best for their kids and yes. they're being told all this different information and, you know, t- being told that they can't trust, you know, government nutrition guidelines. And, you know, we're seeing babies die from being, you know, fed, you know, strict vegan diets where they're not getting enough calories and, you know, it is possible to do a vegan diet healthy for children, mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of supplementation a lot of knowledge and effort, which, you know, the majority of people don't have the resources. And all well, the yeah, we ask Oh my goodness! Like to be honest, exactly. Like I was listening to this plant-based podcast a while ago, and you know I like this podcast, but he was talking about you know if you want to make your own hemp milk, you soak the seeds overnight, you add X, Y ingredients, and all these other things I hadn't even heard of. Like Mm. for goodness' sake,
0: who has time to do this? Yeah, no one. No, and this is the thing. (laughs) I think I have. You know, my career is in nutrition, so I've studied nutritional science for a long time, and even I don't have. You know the resources and time or any of that to, to, to do all of this. And I think if I'm in that profession and I don't even do it, and have exactly. the time, you know, that every single person should not feel that that is the only, and the optimal way to live. It's not. Um, I yes, just think, there's... you know, a great way is just to get kids cooking in the kitchen and experiencing different foods and try and look at different colors, um, you know, and and make it fun. And if you are just eating white, white beige food every day, then you will maybe see, uh, you know, less positive health effects. But if you're trying to maybe say, oh, well, we've had an apple today and you tick off a color, you just try to make it a little bit more interesting. And It doesn't have to be organic. It doesn't have to be, you know, you haven't got to go to the top organic food shop at all to have a healthy diet. You just have to try and see that you have different foods on your plate every single day and get people cooking again and knowing how to cook. And I think that's something that we've lost. And that doesn't have to be really expensive. And we haven't got to have specific ingredients for that. You've just got to try and, yeah, get the kids cooking. I think that's what's really important, um, just just to, turn up, to pop in there, really.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think health and nutrition has been way overcomplicated. And I think because, you know, it can be a financial industry Um, and, you know, I'm passionate, you know, sleep is so important to our health, you know, our mental health impacts our physical health so much, you know, being active, all of these things I would say are just as important as nutrition. Yes. But, you know, you can't really monetize sleep as well as you can nutrition Um, and you can't make as many careers out of, you know, teaching people how to sleep well. Yeah. So I kind of think nutrition has been way overcomplicated, and we need to kind of get back to the basics. Um, you know worrying about you know observational studies showing very small you know changes in bone density from dairy like goodness sakes there's so many bigger things that we need to think about exactly I think not that it's
0: not interesting but you know there's
1: bigger things and you know getting the basics down pat
0: and I want to know what is the biggest health myth you've come across oh I think one we hear so much is carbs
1: making people fat
0: okay okay so that's yeah fantastic i'm so pleased you said like that. completely illogical no sense yeah okay brilliant izzy I, thank you so much I want you, I want you to finish what you were to say i was going to say i think um i had a little thought bubble the carnivore diet being
1: good for health probably even more ridiculous than carbs making us fat
0: ah okay so the carnivore diet being good for our health yeah so i so that's basically just eating meat. I just want to say what the carnivore diet is. But I guess that's essentially what that means, isn't it? The carnivore diet is just yes, having meat it consumption. it makes me nauseated
1: just thinking. Yeah, it makes me nauseated thinking about it. And those poor people's gut microbiome. Oh, my goodness. With um, no diversity I'd like to in see how.
0: They, no, I'd like to see how they're feeling 10 years after their carnivore diet. Yeah, we seem to go through phases of it. Whether it's the Atkins diet, whether it's I guess the ketogenic diet, is more around fat, but carnivore diet. Um, can't remember what the other one was. Is it paleo diet? Oh, uh, you know,
1: alkaline paleo intermittent fasting. I almost get excited to know you know what the next diet's going to be.
0: Just you know, is it more ridiculous than the last one if that's possible? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know there's going to be so many more before the end of twenty twenty. There will probably be one related to the coronavirus, I imagine, somewhere along the line. Yes, to
1: keep your COVID safe right? Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, did you, if you had what I said earlier, but cow urine and cocaine have apparently been tipped as being cures for it. So for me, I think that's just, yeah, you can't, you can't predict what's going to come out, but there's, there's going to be some strange ones.
1: No, what, what a contrast, cocaine and cow manure. Let's hope people aren't mixing them together.
0: I know. Could you imagine? Um, (laughs) So to lastly finish off, can you let all my followers know where they can find you on Instagram or social media um, to follow you?
1: You can find me on my Instagram. That's where I do most, I guess, of my posting and stories, um, which is Dr. Izzy K Smith. Amazingly, there was another Dr. Izzy Smith out there. So I had to put my middle name in Mm K. Um, I am also on Twitter, but I'm not very active on there, but I'm also, you know, Dr Izzy Smith. Um, and I have a website where I share some of my articles that, you know, um, are shared by other media organisations.
0: Fantastic. Which you
1: can find from my Instagram. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Izzy, thank you so much for being on my podcast, Live Well, Be Well.
1: No, thank you so much, Sarah. This was it was really great. And, you know, I think for some of the people listening they may feel like, oh, they didn't give me a clear answer on, you know, was dairy good or is the pill safe or not? And I think, you know, because we're both so passionate about being evidence-based and, you know, giving our absolute best information that's as accurate, as concise as possible, you know, to all the people listening, you know, we have to, you know, be realistic and show, you know, some of the science isn't 100% clear and things can't be, you know, in the world we live in, things aren't good or bad, it's, you know, very relevant to the individual and there's lots of nuance and shades of grey. So I guess I just wanted to say if you know people, you know, really wanted a clear answer. I'm sorry that we couldn't give you that, but you know, that clear answer wouldn't be true. I can't
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you okay. more. Thank you, Izzy. All the best. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Tune in next week to hear the following conversation from this episode with Izzy, where we touch upon the contraceptive pill, celery juice, alkaline diet and if fluoride is dangerous for our health. You've probably heard Izzy there talk about not covering everything in the hormone contraceptive pill but you're going to hear all about it next week. Thank you all for listening it means so much and if you really like this podcast please do leave a review or a rating it means a lot and it shows me that you guys are enjoying it. Until next week I hope you all live well and be well.